Our readings today come from Colossians chapter 1, verses, uh, verse 28, through to chapter 2, verse 3, followed by our reading from 1 Kings, chapter 3, verses 1 to 28. So from Colossians, he, that is Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have all the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom, all, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 1 Kings 3 verse 1. Solomon has just become king and he made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense in the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness in me, in, to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honour, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realised it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. 
Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, Pardon me, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your servant was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning I got up to nurse my son and he was dead. When I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. Well, that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order. Cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Thanks, Daryl. Good morning, everyone. My name's Mark. If we haven't met, it's great to be with you this morning. I like reading autobiographies sometimes because you, you, you see the relatable side of famous people, don't you? So you, you see um, Steve Waugh's self-doubt, John Howard's grief at losing a close family member, Andre Agassi feeling misunderstood by everyone around him. Um, but at the same time, it, it can be quite unrelatable as well because you, you're reading about someone whose life is completely different to mine. I'm reading about someone who is smarter, funnier, braver, or better at sport than, quite frankly, anyone up or down my family line is ever going to be. Um, and the passage that we're looking at today is a little bit like that. The, the life of the, the wise, wealthy, famous King Solomon is so different to my life that it, it's hard to see any common ground between them. Uh, but there is common ground, because the same God who appeared to Solomon 3,000 years ago is still at work here and now in our lives. Uh, we're in a, an eight-week series in the book of One Kings at the moment. We kicked off last week looking at the, the first couple of chapters. We saw King David on his, on his deathbed, old and shivering with cold. Uh, we saw Adonijah, David's son, trying to seize the throne and, and take power for himself before Solomon's rightful rule as king is established. And we heard David's last words to Solomon before he died, which set the scene not just for the rest of the book of 1 Kings, but really for the, for the rest of the Bible. 
David tells Solomon, if you, as king, if you obey God's word and if you lead your people to do likewise, God promises that this throne is going to endure forever. There's always going to be a king on this throne. Sadly, though, and spoiler alert here, we're going to watch on over the next few weeks as Israel's kings just wander further and further away from God, further and further away from God's word. Uh, The kingdom is going to be divided by conflict, and then it's going to be ruined entirely. And it's going to leave us longing for a better king, a king who will lead God's people faithfully and perfectly. Uh, But it's a positive passage this morning. We We begin with Solomon being given the gift of wisdom, which, of course, he's still famous for today. The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Notice this, this is God's initiative here. This is, this is God reaching out graciously to Solomon here. Uh, but Solomon's response is important. Um, before we get to it, what, what do you reckon you would wish for if this Aladdin kind of moment came your way? What, what is it that you would wish for? Now, I'm sure we'd love to give the, the Miss Universe answer and say, oh, I'd wish for world peace or an end to world poverty, that sort of thing. Uh, maybe we'd give the, the proper Christian answer and say we want everyone to, to come to know God. I reckon self-interest would be a big temptation, though, in that moment. Um, this, this is a moment when the, the deepest desire of Solomon's heart is revealed, when he's, when he's within touching distance of whatever he wants. And I should say that the writer of 1 Kings gives us quite a, a complex picture of who Solomon is as an individual. Now, he's, he's clearly someone who loves God, um, but tragically, his heart is going to eventually be led astray from God by, um, under the influence of his foreign wives and also the, the pagan religions that they follow. And the seeds of this drift away from God that Solomon's going to go through, they're actually already there in chapter 3. We see that he's married the daughter of Egypt's pharaoh. So he's beginning to to marry foreign women. And he's also making sacrifices at the high places, which God had commanded his people not to do. Uh, So there's warning signs there. But but his response to God's offer here is spot on. He, He says to God, look, you've... You've shown your kindness to me and to my father, David. You've, you've shown your faithfulness to all of your people. And now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in, your place, king in place of my father, David. But I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So... Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? You can see Solomon has the right motivation here. He knows that he's got an important job to do, ruling over all of God's people. And he wants the wisdom to do this job well, to govern God's people with discernment and with justice. He's not motivated by wealth or fame or anything like that, but rather by God's glory and the good of God's people. And it's not just Solomon's motivation that's right, but it's his humble dependence on God here 
as well. He's, he's saying, who am I to do this job? There's, there's no way that I can do it on my, in my own strength, my own wisdom. I need your help, God. Uh, God is pleased by Solomon's request. And, and he says, look, Solomon, you could have asked for anything you wanted. You could have asked for wealth, for power, for long life. But you asked for what was closest to my heart, which was for wisdom to lead my people well. And so, so God says to Solomon, I'm going to answer your prayer for, for wisdom. And I'm also going to give you a lot of great things that you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you fame. Uh, now, it's a great promise, and it would be unhelpful to, to take this promise and to kind of copy and paste it into our own lives and to, to assume that if we're faithful enough that God's going to give us this exact same promise as well. That's, that's not the point here. Uh, but if you have put your trust in Jesus and, and committed to living with him as your king, then you can be sure that God has given you kingdom work to do. Now, it may not seem as important or as impressive as the kingdom work that he's given Solomon to do, ruling over a whole nation of people. But God is building his kingdom each day. He's growing his kingdom as he, as he brings more people into his kingdom as they come to know him. He's growing his people, all of us, in our love for him. He's helping us to center our lives more and more on him. And he's using us all this time to do this work of making and growing disciples. I mean, what a reason to, to get out of bed in the morning. God is building his kingdom and he's using me to do it. It's a great privilege. But it's daunting as well, isn't it? Because we know just as Solomon did that the work God has given us to do for him is well beyond us. Um, when I look at my own life and I, and I think about the kingdom, lo- the kingdom work that God has called me to do, so basically what, what is it God has called me to do that, that's going to have eternal consequences? I think for me that the thing that overwhelms me the most is the responsibility of being a husband and a father. The responsibility of continually pointing Alicia to, to God, my wife, to God in the good times and the bad, encouraging her in her walk with him. Uh, the responsibility of teaching and modeling to Rory, our little boy, what, what it looks like to live for Jesus, discipling him and, and protecting him spiritually. It's, it's an immense privilege. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but, but quite frankly, I'm overwhelmed by my ability to constantly get it wrong. I'm so far out of my depth in that role. It's, it's ridiculous. I need God's wisdom every day to be able to do that well. Now, I realize not everyone here is, is married or, or has children, and our kingdom work is, is so much broader than that, isn't it? It's our relationships with other people here at church or, or other, other Christian friends that we know, um, people in our community groups, friends of ours. We need wisdom way beyond what we naturally possess to, to be able to care for the people that we love, uh, particularly during those difficult times. Uh, to comfort them when they grieve, to correct them when they need correcting, uh, to know how best in all sorts of situations we can, we can best love and care for them and point them to Jesus. And I'm sure we can all think of times when we've just realized how far out of our depth we are with that.
I remember at a, at a previous church, we, there was a, a family in our church who just went through a, 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 a horrific um, grief in their family. And I remember the first time going to, going to visit members of that family afterwards and just walking to the front door and thinking, God, I don't know what I'm going to say in this moment. I'm, I'm sure we've all experienced similar moments to that where we just feel out of our depth in caring for people. And we need God's wisdom as well, not just in, in caring uh, for people within the church, but, but leading people outside the church to Jesus as well. Um, for all of us, there are, there are people in our lives who we're uniquely positioned to, to be on mission to, whether that's our friends, family, neighbours, workmates. And we need wisdom to make the most of the opportunities when we get them. Saying the right thing in the moment, having the boldness, being, being intentional in those relationships. There's simply no way in my own wisdom that I could bring someone to faith on my own. It's not just that. I need God's wisdom in using the money, the time, the skills that he's given me to to best serve his kingdom. Uh, We need his wisdom when we make the big decisions in our lives. Uh, We've all got important kingdom work to do in, in every area of our lives. And it requires great wisdom which ought to to bring us to our knees, to the same God who blessed Solomon abundantly with the wisdom that he needed to do the kingdom work that God had given him. Uh, Solomon wakes up the next morning, finds out that the gift of wisdom wasn't just a good dream, it was was real. And we see that right away with a a display of this wisdom. Uh, Solomon is presented with two prostitutes and one baby and... Both women claiming to be the true mother of this, of this child. It's a, it's a tragic story. Uh, Solomon has probably never met either of these women, so he's got no idea who's telling the truth and, and who isn't. And the solution that he, that he gives, one that's famous today still, shows a really deep insight into the nature of the human heart, doesn't it? He, um, he orders for the baby to be cut in half, and I'm sure never never intending that it would get to that point, but knowing that the jealous, grieving mother is, is going to be happy just to be no worse off than the other woman. Um, but he also knows that the true mother will love her child so much, too much to let this child die. She'd, she'd rather see her son raised by another woman than see him cut in half. And in that moment, Solomon knows who the true mother is. Uh, when all Israel hear this verdict that the king has given, they, they hold him in awe because they see that he has wisdom from God to administer justice. Solomon's verdict displays this divine wisdom that, that God has given him. But, but more than that, it shows the character of the wisdom, doesn't it? It, it shows that this is a king who, who won't just rule wisely, but he's going to use this wisdom to bring justice. And that means justice for everyone, even for the lowest people in society, even for a prostitute and her helpless baby. A king who provides justice for the lowly. I mean, I mean, did you think how ridiculous this was as we read the Bible reading? I mean, how, how does a king have time to, to answer a case like this? You think, this is, this is an incredible kind of king. And yet he's also a king who provides prosperity for the many, which, which we see 
in chapter 4. The gift of wisdom and the display of wisdom are followed by Solomon's reign of wisdom. Uh, Now, the first half of chapter 4 is basically a long list of people who Solomon has in various positions of power. None of the names mean anything to us now. And it's a bit of a bit of a sort of boring list to, to read through one name after another. But but I think what we're meant to see is that this is more evidence of Solomon's wisdom. He he's putting the right people in the right roles. And the end result is God's people living in prosperity under their king. The second half of chapter four is it's almost a picture of heaven that we're seeing here. Uh, We read, the people of Judah and Israel, so the the whole kingdom of Israel, were as numerous as the the sand on the seashore. They ate, they drank, and they were happy. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, so so one end end of the land to the other, they lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. Um, Let's be honest, people living happily under their ruler, is a pretty foreign concept for us, I'd say. Now, the only thing I can remember hearing about in, in the lead-up and the, and the aftermath to the recent federal election was, was this teal revolution that was going on. So all these independents that were rising up and, and getting voted in, in in response to how our major parties are, are perceived to have dealt with issues like cost of living, climate change, corruption, treatment of women, you name it. Now, I'm not trying to make a, a political argument here. I'm, I'm just trying to point out the, the obvious sense of dissatisfaction that's going on. And, and it's not a knock at our government today, particularly, because it's, it's hard to think of really any society at any time in world history that, that compares with the happiness and the prosperity of Israel under King Solomon's wise rule. It's a beautiful picture that we're seeing here. Now, we read that God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. We, we read about all the things that he knew about plants, animals, bird life. He was writing poetry. He was writing proverbs. He's wiser than anyone else around him in the world. And his fame spreads all over. Kings from nations all over the place, they send people to listen to Solomon's teaching and to report back. He's also a a wealthy, powerful king. He controls all the nations around Israel. They they all send tribute to him each year. Uh, So what we're seeing here is God's wisdom being put to good use for the good of God's people and for the glory of God. It's it's a wonderful picture. It would have reminded the people of Israel at at that time of the, the promises that God had made to Abraham, their ancestor, all those years earlier, that his descendants would be numerous and prosperous. But things are going to unravel. The decline is going to begin, even while Solomon is still ruling. Um, Because even though he's wise, he's still a sinner. His heart is still too easily led astray. And as Stephen said, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks' time. Um, After Solomon's death, things will get steadily worse. And so this all-too-brief snapshot that we see here of a happy and prosperous kingdom life, it leaves, leaves us longing for a time when God's perfect king is going to rule with perfect wisdom 
and justice, with no threat of corruption and no fear of death. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is the perfect king who Solomon leaves us longing for. In fact, Jesus himself, when he, when he comes, he says, someone greater than Solomon is here. Uh, in our Colossians reading that we had just before, uh, the Apostle Paul who writes this letter, he writes that Jesus is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's, it's not just that Jesus is a supremely wise king, but that all wisdom and all knowledge comes from Jesus and points us to Jesus. He is wisdom in a person. Uh, Solomon might speak wisely about plants and animals and fish and, and whatever else, but, but it was Jesus' wisdom and power that created them in the first place. Uh, and what this means, Paul says, is that our wisdom should be directed to serving him. He is the one we proclaim, Paul says, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Solomon used his wisdom to lead God's people well. And Paul, likewise, uses his wisdom to, to see people grow to maturity in Jesus. That was the kingdom work that God had given him to do. And it's also the kingdom work that he's given us to do as well, to, to use the wisdom we have to see people grow to maturity in Jesus. Any wisdom we possess is given to us to serve Jesus, to point people to him. Jesus is the source of all wisdom. He's the essence of all wisdom, and he is the goal of all wisdom. Paul wrote a few other letters in the, the New Testament, in the Bible, one of them, 1 Corinthians. He tells us that the ultimate display of God's wisdom, it wasn't a wealthy, famous king being admired on his throne. It was a, a poor, despised king being mocked as he died on a cross. Christ crucified is God's wisdom revealed in its purest form. Jesus laying down his perfect life for us, taking our sin on himself so that we don't have to. So that if our trust is in him, if we've made him our Lord and our King, then we have the certain hope of one day enjoying forever life under his wise and perfect rule. So as we go about the, the kingdom work that God gives us each day, and as we lean on his wisdom in doing so, this is the wisdom that we need the most. Knowing that the only reason that we can look forward to life living under our, our king's perfect rule is that our king laid down his life for ours. Uh, when, when we think about the kingdom work that God has given us to do, certainly when, when I think about leading my family, when I think about loving other believers, when I think about leading people to Jesus, uh, when I think about stewarding my resources, the cross is what gives me the right lens to look at all of those things through. See, if I'm living each day knowing that, that Jesus died for me, 
that there was no way for me to be right with God except him dying for me. That his sacrifice is the difference between me spending eternity in heaven or hell. That, that the cross has an everlasting bearing on the life of every single person I'll ever meet. Well, that's the only foundation that any of us can build on to do the work that God has given us to do. The gift of wisdom, the display of wisdom and the reign of wisdom that we, that we see under Solomon reminds us that we depend on God every day to give us the wisdom that we need to do the kingdom work that he's prepared for us to do now. And as we do that, we're looking forward to God's true king, a king greater than Solomon, a king greater than any other human king, ruling over all of his people with perfect wisdom. Let me pray for us. God of all wisdom, you've given us the privilege of being workers in your kingdom. We know that the work of making and growing disciples of Jesus is way beyond our ability. And so we pray, as Solomon did, for your wisdom, your guidance, your strength and your provision to do the work that you've given us. Please help us to set our sights on Jesus, in whom all wisdom is found and in whose death your perfect wisdom is displayed. Amen.